Good morning. I want to welcome both our members and our visitors today. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I am an admin pastor here, and I mention that because a little update for you. As you walked in, you may have noticed that the lobby was a little dark. Um, that's because we are in the midst of having our lights in that room replaced. Just make sure I've got it on. It's not playing. Now it should be working. Technology. Um, so the lights will be replaced on Tuesday. So we will have light coming back to us. Oh, there it is. We'll have light coming back to us on Tuesday. Um, I hope if you're visiting with us, you will sense the light of our fellowship this morning. And we will be turning to God's word. And as been prayed uh, several times already this morning, our prayer is that our hearts would be illuminated with the light of God's word through the Holy Spirit. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 18, so I'd ask you to turn there with me this morning. Movies are made better with music. I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but watching a television program or a movie and turning the sound down, and what was supposed to be scary isn't that scary anymore. Uh, something that was supposed to be heart-rending uh, just doesn't seem the same when you're just looking at the pictures with no music. Well, as we consider the life of David, uh, we've, we've got a score. There's a, there's a score that's playing throughout the background of the story that we find in Samuel, 2 Samuel. And that overarching theme, as you think about a particular movie, I'm going to avoid mentioning any names because I don't want the music going through your head while I'm preaching. Uh, but as I could mention a name and you would hear a theme that would go with that. Well, there's a theme that's going through Samuel and it is God provides a king. And Pastor Jim began this series in 1 Samuel, and he talked about how God was going to bring about a leader, a need for a leader. So as we came to 2 Samuel, David came on the scene, and we go through his life, and it begins, he's in a time of trial. Saul is chasing him. Uh, it looks as though this anointed king, what's going to happen to him? And the music is probably in a minor key at this point. As the tension is building, what is going to happen with David? And then we come to the second part of David's life, and that is his triumph. And the music begins to swell, and the theme is, is more prominent. And here is announced this great covenant that we just heard read from 2 Samuel chapter 7. What a wonderful promise that David the king had received. Not only was he a king, but he was also going to have a dynasty. His house would be established. So the music is swelling. 
But there's something that happened after that, and we've learned about that in recent weeks, that David came to a time in his life where he faced a temptation. And that temptation, and in that temptation, he failed. And then that brings us to the last part of David's life that people have termed David's troubles. David's troubles that have sprang from the failure of his sin. And that's where we find our king today in 2 Samuel chapter 18. We find a king damaged by sin. David at this point is a king damaged by sin. He is forgiven after the sin with Bathsheba. Nathan told him, God has forgiven you. But if you have your bulletin, there's a little passage in there this morning where he's told your sins are forgiven, but the sword will never depart from your house. You will have troubles in your life. That's what brought David to this moment in this passage. And the music becomes more somber. What was glorious is now dark. It's interesting as we consider the parts of David's life, if you go back to the trials, you'll find that he was chased out of his home. He was out in the wilderness. He was being sought by his relative, his father-in-law. There were trials that he was facing. And here we find that he has once again been chased out of Jerusalem. He's out in the wilderness in a city that was once the, the place where it, his um, enemy once lived. And here he is being chased again by one of his relatives, chased by his son. One of the big differences between the first and the second is that in the first, David was innocent. In the second, David was guilty. In the first, David was looking forward to the promise. In the second, David is living in the reality that he had failed, that he had sinned against God. And that seems to have framed the way David responds in this time. So what I want us to see this morning is David, how he responds, and also how Absalom responds to the covenant that God has given even though David is going through a time of trouble, God's promise is the same. How did David respond to that? The covenant that was given that would include the children of David, Absalom being a child of David, how did Absalom respond to that? In this chapter, all of that comes to a head. And we can learn about how they responded and how we should respond to these changes in our lives, to the effects of sin in our lives, to the promise that we have of God's covenant to us. And through all of this, we are appointed to a better king, our King Jesus. So in chapter 18, 
David has mustered his men together. He's brought them. Uh, Absalom sent out through the nation saying, come and join me. We're going to go up against David. We're going to fight against him. But an interesting thing about that is it also sent out the message to the people that David was also moving away. David had his own people and people began to come to David just like they did in the time when Saul was chasing him. And they came into this city that David had repaired to, and they joined him. And now there is a conflict beginning to come. David versus Absalom. The people following Absalom and David. And as David comes to them, he's having to face the consequences of what has happened to him before. Think about what has come from his sin with Bathsheba. First of all, he lost the son that was to be born to them. Then we see that it affected his whole family. After that sin, it's as though his family begins to fall apart. We have uh, Amnon going and raping his daughter Tamar. And then from Tamar, we have Absalom rising up against uh, day, uh, against Amnon and killing him. So David now has lost two sons because of this sin. The sword, the, the damage of his sin is coming into his family. And then Absalom begins to rebel. And because of Absalom's rebellion, we see Ahithophel, one of David's main counselors, leaving him and going over to Absalom, who his son, now his enemy. And this continues and continues. David is now on the run from his own son, from the sword that Nathan said would come from his own house. This is the effect of sin. In our lives, we have promises. God has given us a promise. It's a beautiful promise. Those of us who know him have assurance of our salvation. But when sin comes into our lives, there are ramifications to that. The things that we have done, when we ask forgiveness, that does not always clear away the damages that come from that. And sometimes those damages are in our hearts. They're in our minds. Sometimes there are things that we can't unsee. Sometimes there are words we can't take back. And we have caused damage in other people's lives. We've caused damages to our own relationships. And we find ourselves at the gate facing trials and troubles of our own making. The important thing during that time is not for us to lose ourselves in those sins, to lose ourselves in those troubles, but to lose ourselves in the promise that God has given. That even in our sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though we may face the effects of sin, we are not held captive to that sin. And God can overcome 
that sin, when we turn to him and not to our own failures. But we begin to see that David, having fallen, is beginning to fall into these troubles. We see a king damaged by sin, and that leads him in his actions toward Absalom, his son. Secondly, we see a king who cannot save. You see, David, in the midst of all of this, it appears that his, his view of what God and what God was doing in his life began to change. He began to fixate on his son, Absalom. It's interesting to consider the covenant that God gave, that it was a, he would establish David's house. And then you see all the struggles that David had with his children. Absalom being a primary example of this. The very thing that God said, I'm promising you and your house will be established and it will continue through a son. That very thing began to cause David to fixate on that promise. And it would appear David's eyes were coming off of the promise and onto his children. We see this in the way he responds to Absalom. Now understand, what is Absalom doing here? Absalom is standing up in rebellion to the covenant. He's standing up in rebellion to God, standing up to defeat God's anointed king, David. That is who Absalom is. Now, you can see Absalom as David's son, and surely that is the case. But in the overarching theme of history and the story of the word, Absalom is a a rebel against the covenant of God. So David brings the army, and he's going to go out. He's going to fight against Absalom. And his people come to him, his three commanders come to him, and they say, hey, you shouldn't go out. Because if you go out, you could be captured, you could be killed. And if that happens, Absalom will win. This was Absalom is going to have to go, or David's going to have to go. And if you remember Ahithophel and the advice that he gave, he said, look, let me take 12,000 men, let me go out quickly, and let me capture David. Let me overcome David while he's weak. And then, Absalom, you will be king and you won't even have to go into battle. And then Hushai, through the answer of God's prayer to David, gave another advice. Hey, Absalom, go ahead. Uh, Bring people together. Get a mass, a huge army, and then go out against David And then everyone will know that you truly are a king because you're leading all these people into battle. These leaders recognized the importance of David. They didn't want him to go out because they knew, actually, that Ahithophel's advice was the better strategic advice. And so we see David 
was kept from going out into battle. We need a better king. David at this point, though was king of of Israel, he was sitting in the gate. He was sitting in the land, He was in the city. His own people were trying to protect him. We need a king with no weaknesses. We need a king we never need to fear losing in battle. Jesus is that king. He's not only more important than 10,000, he is exalted above everything. He will never be defeated, and he fights for us. You see, in this story, we see often David is showing us Jesus, but in this passage, he's showing us Jesus in the contrast. He's showing us what he could not be that Jesus is. We need a king a righteous, perfect king. So we come to David, and David says to his three commanders, he ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Israel. David's heart was turned more to his son than to his people. His heart was turned more to his own emotions, his own needs, than to the needs of his people. And so, we see a king that failed because of his own sin, and now we're seeing a king who cannot save the very person that he wants to save. Because the story continues... Now the army went out into the field against Israel and the battle was fought uh, in a wooded area and it was very confusing. Many people died, which again is another effect of David's sin that many of his own people died from the land of Israel. And the, the battle spread. And then we read this. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. And he was suspended between heaven and earth, and while the mule that was under him went on, and a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hid from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel. And Joab restrained them 
And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. When I think of Absalom, I think he was probably one of the first social media influencers. Um, When you look at his life and the way he lived his life, he was always smoking mirrors. He began to create a name for himself. Uh, He would stand at the gate, and when people would come in, He would say, oh, you're not going to get a good answer here. Let me take care of that for you. And people were beginning to listen to him, and they were starting to uh, build him up. So he began to think, oh, you know, I could be king. I could stand. Look at David. Look at my dad. He's, He's not standing up. Look what happened to my sister Tamar, and look what happened to Amnon. I could do a better job being king than he is. So he began trying to undercut his father. He builds this monument to himself. Now we are told that he did have three sons and a daughter named Tamar. And so people posit that what is mentioned here when he says, I built this monument because I have no sons, it's because those sons died early in life. So just to give you a little uh, answer, apologetic for why he says this when previously in, the, in this word it says that he had sons. But his focus was on himself. Remember when he began his rebellion? He had this party and he invited a bunch of people to the party and some of them had no idea what was going on. They didn't know why they were coming to the party. It was all because he was trying to create an image that wasn't true. An image about himself that was incorrect because Absalom was not the chosen one of the covenant. He was in rebellion against the covenant. But David still loved him. It's also interesting that Absalom was, came upon the soldiers. Here we see God's providence at work even in this. Remember Ahithophel and Hushai? Remember what Ahithophel was trying to avoid and that was for Absalom to be in the battle? But Hushai said, hey, you need to amass and go into battle against David. And so, through God's working, through the advice of these men, we find Absalom right where he was supposed to be. And that was in the battle. And we have this picture of him. Again, social media star with his beautiful hair. Uh, Told in scripture that how much it weighed, it was heavy. And here he is riding his mule, which was also a sign that he had set himself up as a king, as royalty. And he's riding on this mule, and his head gets caught in a tree. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. He could have been trying to get away, or maybe he was trying to rally his troops. And perhaps he turned back, and when he looked around, he found himself caught in a tree. 
I have that problem. I have a little scar on my, that's one of the reasons why I have a mustache is I was playing basketball once and I went running to save a ball going out of bounds and I threw it back. And when I turned around, there was a wall and my face just went right into that wall. And now I, I have the effects of that every day. If I were to try to shave, shaving around that thing. And that was Absalom. Absalom was brought right into the place where God wanted him to be. His sign of royalty of his mule went running out from underneath him. The beauty of what was his hair, and I really do believe it was his hair, um, that got tangled in that limb because he wasn't able to get out. It was stuck. Uh, It was all wrapped up in the branches. And here he is a would-be king hanging between heaven and earth by his hair. Nothing he can do about it. And then we have Joab come forward. That's another one of those things that is a ramification of David's sin. If you recall, who was it that put Uriah up on the front of the battle? It was Joab. And how did Joab know to do this? It's because he received a letter from the king saying, here's what I want you to do. I wonder if Joab saved that letter because Joab was the only one who read it. Joab was the one who knew what was happening with David. And I wonder if Joab, over time, held that over David. So one of the ramifications of David's sin and the way he carried it out was he had created a dangerous relationship with Joab. And it's beginning to come to fruition here. Joab totally disregards David's order about his son, Absalom, and he kills Absalom. Now, I kind of understand why he did that. Joab was a very pragmatic person. And I can see that Joab was also a very nationalistic person. He was concerned about the nation. He was more concerned about the nation than his own king was concerned about the nation. David was more concerned about Absalom, his son, than he was about the nation. Joab steps forward, disobeys the king, and he kills Absalom. So whether Joab was right or wrong in this, he is still carrying out the act of a sovereign God. God had determined that Absalom would meet the fate that he met. The rebellion against the covenant would be ended. And Joab, for better or for worse, played a part in that. But consider, David could not save his son Absalom. He tried to give that warning. He tried to give the command, but that command could not work. His sin had come to fruition, and now he has lost a third son. He could not save him. That is not the king that we need. We need a king. We need a better king. We need a king who can save the rebellious son. We are all Absalom seeking 
our own kingdoms. We are all chasing after our own thrones. We are all enemies of God, seeking our own way. We all need a savior. We need a better king. Jesus is that better king. We need not depend on anyone else to rescue us, our dad, our mom. We can depend on Jesus because Jesus has marched against the gates of hell and he will save us. He is our better king. He will be victorious. So we see a king damaged by sin and we see a king who cannot save and then we see a king who cannot substitute. Now here we have a long portion. I'm not going to take all the time to read it. Though I would like for you to take your eyes and just glance at the next few verses. Um, beginning with the story of David hearing of Absalom's death. death verse 19. We have Ahimaaz wanting to run and tell David what has happened. And if you just scroll down, I want you to just, with your eyes, try to pick out the word news. How many times do you find this word news appearing in the text? Well, I think I can tell you, uh, spoiler alert, you're going to find it quite often. And that is the point of this. It's the point of this part of the, the text is not so that you understand how much Ahimaaz loved to run. Um, it's to build and show that news is coming from what has happened between David and between Absalom, and more importantly, about the covenant, the covenant that God has made with his people. First, the Cushite is sent out to run, and he, he runs probably the more direct route. And then here comes Ahimaaz. Now, when I'm going home to visit my mom in southeastern North Carolina, I don't go straight across. Uh, if I did that, it would take me quite a while. I go down to Columbia, over to Florence, and then up into North Carolina. It's a longer distance, but I get there faster. Why is that? It's because I'm on the interstates. Otherwise, I have to go through all these little back roads. That's kind of what happened here. So the Cushite goes out with the news, and it's good news. Uh, does that remind us of anything? Good news? And then you have Ahimaaz heading out down the longer route, but faster route. So he gets there first. And what the text is trying to show us is it's building up what is David's response going to be to this? What's going to happen when he gets the news? So when Ahimaaz shows up, he gives him the news, and it is the good news that the enemy has been defeated and that the kingdom, the nation, under David has been spared. That is the good news. But is that the news that David was looking for? So he says, okay, Amaz, you, you stand over here. Then the Cushite comes, and the Cushite gives the good news. 
He says, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. The good news for all the kingdom was that the enemy had been defeated. But what was the news David was waiting for? The news David was waiting for was, what happened to my son Absalom? And that was not good news to him. David was fixating on the news that was most important to him. Not the more important news that the kingdom had been rescued. It had been, this was a time of rejoicing. Now David could go back, sit on the throne. The covenant could be continued and realized. The enemy had been set aside. And all that David could focus on was the loss of his son. Now, Jonathan, you're being very cold. (laughs) I understand this is a hard time. It's a hard situation that David is finding himself in because he loves his son Absalom. Now, Absalom obviously did not reciprocate that love, but David loved. And so we understand what he's facing at this moment. But there is a greater responsibility that David has than to just his son Absalom. The story is told of a general in the Civil War in the midst of having to deal with a particular battle, meeting with his um, subordinate generals. A letter is delivered to him and he opens it. And in that letter, he's told that his daughter has passed away. His daughter has just died. No one knows. He folds the letter, puts it back in the envelope, and continues with the planning for the battle. Because he knew at that moment his duty was the battle before him. Now we know that that general loved his daughter. And in the correspondence following that, when he's writing back to his wife, it's very evident how much he grieved for and loved his daughter. But he realized that in his situation, at that moment, there was something more important for that. And I am thankful that we have a better king. We have a king who is not considering him own self. We needed a king who can remove the curse. Think of Absalom. He was hanging on a tree. And the Bible tells us, cursed is he who hangs upon a tree. Then we see that Absalom was taken off the tree. He was cast into a pit and it was covered with stones. From a monument to a pile of rocks. This is the life that David, uh, that Absalom had made and the death Absalom had made for himself. And David cries out, if only I could have died instead of you. 
That was his heart's cry. But David didn't. Now, why did David? I'm sure it's because he loved his son Absalom. But could it be also that David realized that it was his own sin that had led to that? He, he himself was guilty. He himself should have died. And perhaps in this cry of David, he's saying, would it I had paid for my own sin instead of you dying, now a third son dead. We need a king who hung upon the tree our vanity deserved. Absalom got exactly what he deserved. We, if we were to die in our sins, we would get exactly what we deserve. We're just like Absalom. We're seeking our own way. We're seeking our own kingdom. We're trying to build our social media followers as we lift up ourselves in pride. We need someone who can be the substitute. And Jesus is that substitute for us. We need a king who died for us and didn't lie beneath the stones, but that the stone was rolled away. The stone could not hold Jesus in the grave. He rose again. Jesus is the risen king. So we see in David a king who's changed by sin. We see one who cannot save. We see a king who cannot be a substitute. And finally, we see a king who cannot control. It was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people still in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. David here is lost in his grief. And I think there's something we can learn here about grief that we can apply in our own lives. What happens when he hears this news? He is overwhelmed by the loss of his son, and he's lost a sense of the duty that he is supposed to have. So let me encourage you, in times of grief, 
Don't get so caught up in your grief that you forget what you're called to do. And dealing with grief, taking action can help. Don't go up above the gate in alone. Get with people who love you. Don't isolate yourself in your grief. Go forward. Get up. Brush your teeth. Put your clothes on. Go out and find someone that you can help. Yes, grieve. Grief is good. But don't lose yourself in your grief. David was losing himself in his grief. He had forgotten his role as king. He isolated himself. And here once again, we find pragmatic Joab showing up. And maybe you've seen this in a program or something where someone's in shock and maybe they're, they're crying uncontrollably and the person comes up to them and he just slaps them in the face. You're like, oh, that was harsh. But that's what that, needed, that person needed to snap out of their inconsolable grief. The shock. That's what Joab comes and he does to David. He, he basically gives him a verbal slap in the face and says, come on, man. You need to buck up. You've got to realize that you are the king. It's not just Absalom and you in this world. There are your people. And because of your actions, they're coming in, stealing in. We see in David here someone who couldn't control the circumstances. He tried to control the circumstances with his son Absalom. He tried to protect him. He, he cried out that he would love to be a substitute for his son. And he couldn't do that either. And now he has his leader, his military leader coming in. And quite frankly, if I was king, I don't know how well I would have taken what Joab said. Joab is really coming on strong. Now, he could have been exaggerating, but it sure sounds like he's saying, look, you get out there in the gate and you thought Absalom was a problem to deal with. Wait until you have to deal with me. Now, was that a threat or was that a slap in the face to get David to wake up? Whatever the case, Joab was not speaking to David as someone would speak to a king. And David has lost control of this man. And we've seen that throughout the history of David and Joab up to this very moment. And it continues. David the king has no control. He is controlled by his grief. His grief is painting everything about his life. He's stuck in his grief. We need a better king. We need a king who does not succumb to his own grief, but is able to carry our griefs and to bear our sorrows. We don't need a king who sits silently in the gate. 
We need a king who stands at the right hand of God, interceding for us, standing there ready to welcome us into his city where he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the king we need. Jesus is that king. He is the king of love and grace. He's the king of grace. And that's what we see here in this passage. We see someone who's caught up in his sin, the ramifications of his sin. We see someone who's trying to save and cannot save. We see someone who would love to substitute at the loss of his son, and he cannot substitute. We see someone lost in the control of his own grief, unable to to function as he's supposed to function. This is Israel's king. But there's one last part of David's life. It's called the epilogue. And in this epilogue, we learn about how God has showed his grace through the people he brought about David, how David was prepared by God. And we're going to learn about those in the weeks to come. God still carried out his covenant for David. Even though David was not the greatest king, God still gave him a house. God carried out his covenant for David. And even though David was so weak here in chapter 18 and chapter 19, God was strong in David's weakness. That is the beauty of the covenant. It doesn't depend on David. It depends on God. That is the grace and grief. That is the grace in failure. That is the grace that we all can have when we turn to God and we claim the promise that he gives us. The promise that was made to us on Calvary where Jesus, the perfect, sinless king, was hung on a cross so that he could save us. He substituted himself for us so that we would not have to live in grief. We can live in the joy of his resurrection because he did not stay behind the stone. That is the message of 2 Samuel chapter 18. It's the message That is throughout all of Scripture to us. So my question to you this morning. Are you living in the ramifications of your sin? We are all sinners. We all deserve everything we get. And so often when that happens to us, we lose ourselves in that sin. Take your eyes off of your sin. Put your eyes on Jesus, the one who saves through his substitution. The one who raises us up as he was raised. 
Don't live in that failure. Live in the beauty of God's covenant to his people, to you and to me. Live in the reality of our great King, Jesus. Father, we are so thankful that even in David's sin, even in David's weakness, you kept your covenant. You showed him grace. And we are so thankful that in that we can see a better king. We can see you, Jesus, our great, perfect king. You are the fulfillment of that covenant. You are the son of David who will reign forevermore. And we thank you for your grace that though that you receiving the glory of who you are for eternity really is all that is needed. Everything would be right. That in itself is good news that you would be who you are supposed to be. But you did so much more. You did not end with your own glory. You chose that our salvation would be what you would glory in the most, the work of Jesus. We thank you for that work that has allowed us to know your grace, to know how that you have forgiven us in spite of our sin and that you carry out your work in our lives. Help us to live in that reality. Protect us from being caught up in the failures of our sin and rejoice in the grace of our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen.